Hey there, and welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you just one elevated page of Talmud a day. Today's pages, Ketin 54 and 55, are chock full of all sorts of fascinating discussions. But if I'm being honest, I, I never really got to think about any of them. Because I got sidetracked by one cutting exchange right there at the very beginning of the duff that just made me stop in my tracks. Here goes. The Gemara adduces proof that this is true. It once happened, the Talmud tells us, that there was a certain person who said to another to insult him, convert, son of a convert. In anger, the second person said to the first in response, at least I don't eat produce of the sabbatical year as you do. This indicates that the sabbatical year was treated in that place as a very serious prohibition. Therefore, Rabbi Yehuda deemed it unnecessary to impose a penalty for its unintentional desecration. The discussion is about the status of the sabbatical year in Talmudic times, but it was the part about convert being used as an insult that really made me stop in my tracks. I can't tell you how painful it was for me to read about a Jew insulting another Jew by calling him a convert. If you know anything about Judaism, you know that once someone becomes a Jew by choice, he or she is considered just as profoundly, authentically, and indisputably Jewish as someone born into a Jewish family like me. And to argue otherwise, well, to argue otherwise is a pretty major transgression. Furthermore, as we say on this show all the time, if you think about it, every Jew truly is a convert. Just as our ancestors, wandering in the desert, had to actively convert to Judaism, we do too. We convert to Judaism when we're eight days old, at least if we're male, when we have our bris and join Abraham's covenant. We convert to Judaism once a year when, like the Israelites fleeing Egypt, we partake in the mitzvah of the Paschal sacrifice, a major symbolic part of the Seder meal. And we convert to Judaism every single day. When we choose to live Jewish lives, when we choose to learn Jewish texts, when we choose to keep the mitzvot and do whatever we can to come closer to God and to our tradition. So to counter this insidious insult, popular apparently in Talmudic times and sadly still a prejudice going pretty strong, I want to share one amazing story of conversion. We shared it a few years back on our sister podcast, Unorthodox, on our annual conversion episode. It's the story of Nisim Black, who found his way from devout Christianity to success as a gangster rapper to life as a learned Orthodox Jew. Here he is, in his own words, telling his remarkable story and reminding us that there is a reason why King David was descended from Ruth, the first arguably convert to Judaism, and a righteous woman who knew the power and purity of a heart coming home. Here's Nisim. So I was born in Seattle. Um, you know, I was exposed to a lot of violence and drug use and abuse and, you know, found myself very early on involved. By the time I was nine, I was already smoking weed. By 12, I was already dealing and running with the wrong crowd. And my grandfather came to live with us, and that was my first exposure to religion. He was a uh, Sunni Muslim, which I think he had converted in prison, where he had spent most of his life. By the time I was 13, I recorded my first record with a producer, local producer named Vitamin D. 
it gave me the opportunity to take it from just being a hobby to really like realizing this was going to be my future. Both my mother and my father were both hip hop artists. Um, they actually pioneered it. My mother was a part of the first female group, the Emma Street Girls, and my father, the Emma Street Boys. And you talking about early on, you know, when Grandmaster Flash and Phase Five and all that was big names, you know. My home and a lot of things that were still going on were troubling. My house was like a center, center place for just like, you know, not only just trafficking, it was just like the hangout spot, you know? It's not inaccurate to say that there were maybe 30, 40 people, if not more, coming in and out of my house on a day-to-day -day basis at all times of the night and all times of the hours. Because of that, home wasn't really a safe haven for me. I got into this hip-hop program when I was 13 at this place called the Union Gospel Mission, which is also the first time I was really exposed to actual, like, Christianity, really. That place really saved my life. I was at a very crucial spot. I thought I took the left turn, you know what I mean? It wouldn't, it wouldn't have been so well. I became a Bible thumper, man, really. You know, I soaked it all up. I remember coming back after camp and I was a different guy already, you know? But I stopped hanging around the friends that I was hanging around. When I say I was reading my Bible, I meant like every day I highlighted it so much that it didn't even matter anymore because the whole book was highlighted. Oh, I was always spiritually in tune as a kid. I don't know why. There was no reason for it. There was no nothing going on in my house that would have pointed me towards spirituality. But I used to think about God as a kid all the time. So after like being on my spiritual journey and, and my musical high, I was speaking at this, by this time with the record label, Virgin Records, I was really interested in doing this deal. They were obviously offering for me at the time a lot of money. And one of the things they wanted from me was more like gangster rap, you know? 50 Cent was big. That was sort of like where music was, hip hop was. And, you know, everybody sort of wanted that sound, more gangster sound. And so I got involved. And slowly but surely, it was more than just music, you know? I started to change the way I think. It started to change the old friends I stopped hanging out with. They started to come back into the picture. And, you know, they weren't just rapping about this. So long story short, I ended up getting into a rap beef with another rapper. And uh, that led me to a kill or be killed situation. A friend of mine trying to take his life. He ended up in custody and they were going to come after me. And it put me in a situation to where I really had to think about who are you, Nissan? You know, at that time, Damien, like, who are you? Um, is this the type of life you want to live in? How did you get here? Just a few years ago, you were Mr. Missionary. Now, all of a sudden, you got a beef and you can't leave the house without a gun. From that, I decided to really just focus on getting closer to God. And that was it. And so I didn't have any preconceived notions. So I just started reading the Bible and digging and digging and digging. And then I got a Quran and I had to, because I was interested in learning what, you know, what the Jewish people believe. I stayed amongst the Abrahamic religions, really. And I just found Judaism at the bottom of everybody's piles, you know? <laughs> and it was sort of like, in the most simple way, it's just sort of like, well, how, how could this be dismissed? And I think the biggest thing for me was I spent a lot of time in the prophets and it was just seeing God's unwavering love for the Jewish people that made me feel very connected to it because, you know, I spent so much time in my life messing up and the whole Bible is just all about how the Jewish people keep messing up and how God would never leave them. And so I really connected to that narrative, I guess, you know, that was one of the things that really pushed me towards Judaism.
Rabbi Google, right? So Rabbi Google led me to Rabbi Menachem Schneer Zalman. I started learning on Chabad.org. Rabbi Mindo Kaplan, I will watch, I will watch Rabbi Krasniansky. And I was like, man, this is, this is my stuff. You know, this is, this was really resonating with me. You know, I found myself in a trolling of confusion, pretty much. I still felt like I wasn't really a- at the source. And so I ended up talking to my wife. It was very interesting. And she told me that she wanted to really make her actual conversion. She was really serious. She wanted to go, you know, I was excited, but I was like, well, you know, I never really met any black Jews. I've seen them in black, but I never seen a black one. So I ended up meeting a black Jew, Arab Shabbos at a store who ended up inviting me for Shabbos. And it happened to be, he lived about a block away from my childhood house. And I ate by them a couple times. And then, you know, more people started to invite us. And before you know it, you know, we were meeting with the rabbi, Rabbi Benzikin in Seattle, which a uh, big shout out to Rabbi Benzikin. He took us in like children. When I really started the conversion process, I made like what I thought was going to be my retirement album. And that was actually very positive uh, deviation from <laughs> what I was making on the album prior. It was only natural and fitting because at that point I changed my life. So the music obviously was going to take a different direction also. That album actually kind of like set me up in a way. First single had a lot of spins on MTV and I just couldn't make the two worlds work. For me, it just didn't seem like it was going to fit both of those worlds together. So I left the music and I thought that that was going to be the end of it. And then it wasn't until like people started encouraging me, like, listen, now you have a gift. You should use it now to bring people closer to Hashem, to spread your light, to spread the moon in the world. Like, and I was like, yeah, no, thank you. And my son ended up getting sick with meningitis. He was four months at this time. And I went and I prayed and I cried. And I started to wonder and ask, like, what am I doing that I shouldn't be doing? Or what am I not doing that I should be doing? And I started to think about the music. And really, because by this time, my wife was also encouraging me. And I was shutting everybody down. And I, I gave God an ultimatum, I would say. I, I tested him, you know. And I had this broken microphone that I had in my closet in my basement downstairs. And I said to God that if you want me to do this, if you want me to, to make music again, and this is really coming from you, then you got to make this microphone work. And lo and behold, after I was done praying that my microphone ended up working. It worked, and I recorded a whole album on that microphone. And then I were crazy Baba Sali story. But I didn't run off of just that. I went to go ask my, my rabbi, and I went specifically to go ask a rabbi that I thought would tell me no. And after like a two-hour lecture, he gave me the green light. So music eventually came back into the picture. One thing is for sure is that I've never expected to have the warm reception that I've had from so many different people just within the Jewish world, whether religious, not religious, old, young, Sephardi, Ashkenazi. I've been just very surprised at how many different type of people I've been able to affect. I got bubbies that come up to me, you know what I'm saying? They say, yeah, let me take a picture for my grandson. I got grandsons saying, let me take a picture with you for my bubby. So I've, I've been overwhelmingly shocked and surprised. I was never saying to myself, oh, I'm going to go and I want to create a revolution. I want to do something brand new with music and with Judaism. I never said these things. I just was going doing what I felt was going to be the best and what I felt like God wanted me to do. And I ran with it. That was it. Never to give up. Never give up hope. Keep going. And even when it looks like you won't succeed, keep going, keep pushing. Because I would have never thought for where I was back then that I would be where I am now.
This has been Take One. If you enjoy the show, and I hope that you do, then you're going to enjoy our brand new Take One newsletter even more. Each week, you'll get an extra shot of Talmudic wisdom straight to your inbox. And for those who sign up before Tractate Gittin ends, we'll be raffling off some Take One swag. So make sure to subscribe at tabletm.ag slash Take One Newsletter. As always, please go rate and review Take One on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. And you could get your Take One t-shirts, mugs, and other amazing form of swag at tabletstudios.com. Each week, we will be releasing new episodes Monday through Friday, covering the entire weekly portion of Daf Yomi. Take One is a Tablet Studios production. The show is hosted by me, Leah Leibowitz, and is produced and edited by Daron Ruske, Quinn Waller, and Ellie Blyer. Our team also includes Stephanie Butnick, Josh Cross, Robert Scaramuccia, Courtney Hazlett, and Tanya Singer. For more information, go to tabletmag.com slash take one or email us at takeone at tabletmag.com. You could find us on Twitter at take one Daf Yomi or join our Facebook group by searching for Take One Podcast. I hope we have made your day a little more Talmudic.